Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators, they're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them. And they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully, and today we have Dr. Bill Copeland with us. I'm really excited to have Bill with us today because he's quite a background Um award-winning educator, professor at Syracuse University, has written hundreds of books, has worked with so many high school students throughout the country. So I'm really excited to dive into your experience and your expertise today. So thank you for being here. Oh, I'm very excited in talking with you. I see that we have some similar views. That's great. Thank you. So my first question I always ask my guests is what inspired you to want to get into education? Was there something earlier in your life or did it come kind of later on? What happened was I, I graduated high school at 16. I had skipped a year and my father had an eighth grade education and I thought I was going to college to get a career. And in my first class, there was this English professor teaching me Chaucer. And this was such a shock to me and still is a shock to me. Uh, that I was extremely angry and confused. And I then, I was at a small college, Washington College. I transferred to Johns Hopkins where it was even worse. And I realized a long time later that they were trying to make me a scholar and I wanted to have a life. Mm. So uh, there was this disconnect between the education system and my goals. I, I just, couldn't understand it. So I, I went through Hopkins. At Hopkins at that time, as far as I know, had no career advising at all. They didn't even have a center. They probably do now. And then I thought, oh, international relations interesting. Maybe I should go in the foreign service. So I applied and I went, I applied, got to the final round. And then they said, they come back when I grow up. But in the meantime, I had um, accepted a, a graduate position. Uh, school at American University, which had a school of international service, which isn't exactly what is normally thought of scholarship. And while I was there, I, I get, I, they thought I really knew what I was doing. I mean, they had me teaching freshmen in my second year of graduate school, and I loved the teaching. So that's how I got into teaching. Mm. Um, then I, I graduated, I got a job first at Wayne State, where, um, I was further faced with this problem of Wayne State's supposed to help the, the, the normal person in Detroit, yet the professors were trying to make scholars out of them. Mm -hmm. And it's all they wanted to do was get a job. And I thought it was completely inappropriate. At the meantime, at the same time, I started publishing a lot of books and articles. I you know, a publisher said, can you write a book on this? I said, okay, I wrote a book. I don't know. I was very lucky um, to publish a lot. I published a lot. I was, uh, they made me an associate professor in two years and gave me tenure in three because they were trying to keep me there and they gave me raises. 
Wow. Uh, then I, I had sort of a moment where I said to myself, no, wait a minute, you're getting into this, this machine and it's wrong. So I went to the Dean of Arts and Science at Wayne State, and I said, I want to teach your 2000 student intro to social science. They use graduate students, and then I would run it. And he said, no, you can't do that. And I said, why not? And he said, because we want you to publish, because we want to be famous. Um, we want to be the um, Ann Arbor of Detroit. Okay. <laughs> I said, well, I don't buy that. I'm not doing that. So I, I was able to get a job at Syracuse, mainly because I was a very um, successful scholar, not because of my, it's never about the teaching at in, in universities. It's always about research. So I got there and through a series of um, experiences, I decided I'm not, I'm not, I'm not teaching this stuff. I'm going to teach students. I'm going to help students learn how to succeed in life. That's my purpose. Mm -hmm. And um, I fortunately ended up in a position where I got my own course numbers and I could determine the curriculum and I had no faculty. Mm. It was like a position. So I developed this program called the Policy Studies Program, the purpose of which is to prepare students for skills that they can use if they get into politics or government into policy. Um, I created this major that became very, very successful. It has over 300, 250 students now. And um, I ran it for 45 years and it's been taken over by another department and it, they're keeping the same structure. And as I developed that course, the first thing that um, I, I figured out was I don't want to use graduate students as teaching assistants. The first year, I got two graduate students and I was teaching my course. Universities do it. You give the lectures and then twice a week, they meet with the graduate student. That's the typical. So I went in and listened to them and they weren't doing what I wanted. And in fact, then I realized they didn't even know what I wanted because I met them two weeks before the school started. So I made a vow to myself, I'm never using graduate assistants again. However, I wanted to teach a course where there was a lot of writing. And I'm not, and, I, and the course had 150 kids in it. Now I wasn't going to read 150 papers five times. So I came up with the idea of using undergraduates who took the course the semester before. Mm. And I built this on undergraduate teaching assistants. And that then meant they were teaching me when we were planning the course. I would say, what do you think of this lecture? And they say, there's too many words on that slide. Or like, don't, don't give three examples, give one. So they were training me. Hmm. Um, they themselves became a force because then they would recruit students. And the, the number of successful students really winning all kinds of things, and most importantly, big time jobs, like for hmm. 75 thousand a year um, developed out of these undergraduate TAs. They became a cult who then recorded others. And they were, of course, very snobby. They thought they were special, which I tried to tell them they're not special. But, <laughs> but they also taught me things like I should put community service in my course. Mm. So I did. Um, I should have more interactive things. So so. In a sense, they educated me. I, I agreed with their premise, which is to and 
students must be engaged. If they're not engaged, what are you doing? So um, I developed that and became very successful. And then I started to take, take the skills approach into high schools and run programs. And today I have a program called Skills Win, uh, where I've created, actually my students have created like 50 little exercises. Like for example, a typing competition. They don't teach typing in school anymore. So the kids don't know how to, this is how they type, right? They type <laughs> things over the cell phone. So um, I, uh, that's one of them. Then I, I'm a big fan of Dale Carnegie. So what I have them do Dale Carnegie speeches of how they faced the problem, got somebody to do something they wanted them to do um, by influencing them, just being nice to them. Uh, and then there were other things like goal setting and all, all, everything you need. And I have a set of 10 skill sets with 38 skills that was published in a book. I wanted to just like highlight, I like that you, because I teach at the high school level. So, I mean, we have a different type of, you know, obviously experience and way of teaching, but I like that you use your undergraduate students to help you because I truly believe that a good educator that really cares about the students will bring them into kind of the behind the scenes work, right? Like asking them, like, what do you think needs to be changed here or what should be added here? And you saw more of this kind of vibrancy coming from your undergraduate students and that they had more like buy-in and agency in what you were doing. And I think that is right there magic because it's not that hard to do. It's actually just really easy. You just ask your students for some feedback, but it could change the whole way your course, a class is run. So I just wanted to um, highlight that because I think that is a wonderful approach. And I like your honesty. I like that you're just like, you know, the graduate TAs, they weren't cutting it. <laughs> so I went to the undergraduate and it completely like kind of transformed your course. And that's great that you have worked on this course in such a way that now it's, you know, going into high school. So yeah, if you could share more about um, your work in high schools that you've, you've done over time. So I have, uh, I teach a class called community problem solving, which is a general term where I have students who are coaches and they go into the high schools and they run these exercises for high school teachers in two and three high schools in Syracuse Plus for the police uh, athletic league, they run a program and we try to run it in boys and girls club, but it, it hasn't worked. So I have, so basically my undergraduates are going out uh, providing skills training. And I've, I, I've tried to create what I see as a skills gymnasium where kids practice skills and we create exercises where they can practice the skills. And a couple of teachers this year are going to have their seniors become coaches for ninth graders on the skills exercises we have. And maybe you'd be interested in that. Yeah, I yeah, I like that. Because, mentorship, yeah. yeah. And then it'll be an internship. The, the thing about teaching skills is a, a teacher can't do it for 30 kids. You don't, you don't have no manpower. You just can't do it. And, and because you can't do it, then you go to lectures and books and other kinds of things. But if you have your students running around coaching, uh, each student coaching three or four kids, and that's what happens in my, my 
college class, they have like seven kids, um, then they can answer little questions. Um, and we try to teach them, I mean, we want them to be able to use Excel and Microsoft Word well. Well, you can't, you can't do that by giving a lecture. Right. <laughs> even online training, the online training thing's okay, but people need human beings to coach them. They need coaches. And that's sort of what I'm, I'm getting. I'm trying to create exercises where, where the teachers can become coaches and run these, but also get the other kids to help them who are better at it. Um, and it's been transformative at, at SU. Um, and it's very, you know, and, and, we've, and it's, it's had a big impact in high schools where they teach my freshman course. So um, I think, I think, you know, you're in partnership. Mm -hmm. You're in partnership. You know, one thing I realize is, well, if I give a lecture, a third of the class won't even know what I'm talking about. The middle group will sort of follow it. The top group will understand it. So what am I doing? I'm not helping. And there's also an equity issue in this because everything is set up to get good grades, to do well on tests, then they go to college. The resources go into that. Now, I'm not against honors programs, it's okay. I just want as much money spent on other programs as honors programs. Um, and and then that, that leads to a lack of equity because when they get to college, the normal non-high uh, performing student has to take like the liberal arts core, which is 60 courses. The um, strong students have already gotten that out of the way. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing? You're punishing the weaker students yet again. Uh, and you're giving a free ride to the better students. And the better students are not so much better anyway, if we really want to get at it. If you talk about the skills, like people skills and other kinds, mm -hmm. that's not the high performers on tests. Right. That could be or could not be, right? They're very good at strategy. <laughs> that's it, basically. They know how to play the game very well. I mean, sometimes the highest achieving students are the ones that just know the system so well and they know how to work the system. And the ones that usually are the most brilliant are the ones who are, they excel in hands-on, project-based, creative, problem-solving types of assignments and projects. And that's usually lacking in some of these like schools that are pushing to you know go into college and then they go. And it's, if we keep focus on memorization or just, you know, study a whole bunch of content, take a test, you do really well on tests. Like it's really just, again, training strategy. It's not actually helping you learn. It's not really, I think, benefiting your cognitive ability, you know, to just be able to do that. It's rote memorization and and finding a, ways to answer these questions on a test. So I think that's the point that you're making there. Yeah, that's what I call the trinity, reading <laughs> Uh, listening lectures and taking tests it's a trinity and it, it it's very just it worked in the well actually my argument it never worked but yeah <laughs> must have in the middle ages or something i don't know but it's insane. it's insane and i i felt that in high school too um i don't know how to teach history better but i think the way of just making them memorize dates and stuff is not good no not at all 
Well, you want to make it feel relevant too. They can go and find their own kind of argument about a time period in history. Like I teach history as well. And we're working on a research paper right now. And we're like, there's some structure to it because we're helping you with like how you do research and organize and take notes and do an outline before you write a paper. But you can pick your topic and you're going to go find the sources yourself and you have to have discernment and you have to use your own critical thinking to determine what is valid and what what is the argument you're trying to make. So the more you put on the students, the more you give them agency, they're actually doing more of that that cognitive work instead of like spoon feeding them everything and then they're regurgitating it back. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I teach this freshman course where the students choose a societal problem like poverty or whatever in their air and where they're from. And then there's all these prompts. They write five different papers that have prompts like what's the problem? What's the cause of the problem? Uh, what policies might you do? All these, these little prompts. So they write five, I call them modules. They're not term papers. They're very structured. Well, when the students come in, like they'll come to me and, and I don't I don't know uh, where do I uh, I don't know how to find a public policy. And I said, well, what's the definition? Well, it's a government action. I said, you can't find a government action in the newspaper. Are you telling me that? And that's because they were always yeah. given the content, and yeah. then they spit it back. So yes. they're really quite incapable. A lot. Yeah. Of yeah. They need to be able to know how to navigate. I had a teacher at my current school who retired in 2020. It was a good year to retire. <laughs> She's probably like, I planned that out well. Um, it was just her natural time to retire too. And she said, it's not about what you're teaching the students. It's about how you can help them navigate, navigate information, navigate how to come to a solution. And they got to be able to be a little messy with their thinking and that they're going to make mistakes and they're going to fail and they're not going to get to the answer right away. And that's the beauty of it, because that's really how you think in the in the real world, right? Like as an adult in the real world, you have to be able to navigate all kinds of things. So teaching those skills in high school, I think, are very important, because if you're seeing that by the time students are getting to college, they're like having trouble with, you know, navigate navigating sources and trying to like find it on their own, we need to be teaching that in high school. So I think some of the life skills that or skills that you are bringing to high schools are going to be beneficial and also teaching them other things that they need to, to use. Like there's a lot of students that don't know how to see their teacher for help. And I see it time and time again in their reflections. Like, I know I need to ask more questions. I know I need to see the teacher during office hours. Like we have that at my school and they just don't do it. So it's like, we actually have to help coach them in using the resources that they have at a school. Instead of just like, you get a rubric back, you get some feedback and you toss it away. Like, well, what are you doing with it? Why am I giving you all this feedback if you're not doing anything with it? <laughs> you know, what's right. the point? We're all spinning our wheels. Well, I think they're so scared. They're like deers caught in headlights. They're, <laughs> they're so focused on wanting a high grade. They, they like, they get very nervous. I also think it contributes to a lot of the mental health problems yeah. is because you're putting them in a really bad situation of um, either making them memorize or having this ideal thing they need to write 
that they don't know that's the ideal thing. And, and so what are they doing? They're trying to guess what you're thinking. <laughs> and um, that's not very useful because you, you know, it, it's, it's threatening. And, and students are, are, are very nervous. And I, I, deal with, I, I, I deal with a lot of freshmen and um, they're very confused. First of all, they're looking at this liberal arts core that has all this complexity that doesn't make any sense. And then they're worried about their grades. And um, so I think it's, I, I, I just think it's not good for mental health of students. Mm -hmm. I'm not blaming all the anxiety on mental health problems on it solely, but I think it's got something to do with it uh, mm -hmm. for some of the kids. So, uh, and you just have to make them, I, I, I when my class, I say, um, now listen anything i say uh, don't trust it because i just talk i'm just speculating i mean i i got i have some knowledge but i don't have all knowledge so when i say something you have to you have to attack me and say <laughs> what are you talking about because yeah, yeah. uh i can tell you i don't know everything in right. fact i don't know very much and by the way you don't either and um what that's okay not to know anything it's better to say you don't know something than to say you know something yeah and you have to treat them teach them humility um and that conflicts with or oh, here's the real content learn it because we know the content is completely speculative anyway except maybe in the yeah. physical sciences um and so you've got to make them realize that they have to own it yeah, it's okay if they own it, and if they don't own it, they're in trouble. And it takes quite a while. I, for example, one of the things that keeps puzzling me is I give them my skills sh spiel, and they don't get it. <laughs> and so, so a kid comes to me and says, "I don't know what I want to do in my career." And then they say, "What should I major in?" And then I say. It doesn't matter what you major in. What you have to do is get skills like Excel. You're a good writer. And this is what you have to get per people skills. And after I say that, the next question is, well, if I major in sociology, would I get those skills? Like, totally missed the point. That's not important. <laughs> point is you, you can get you those can... skills in any major. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And that's and they don't, but they don't buy that because there's such an emphasis. You got to choose a major. Yeah. And and so they don't buy because it's part of the requirement. So therefore, it must be very important. Besides which, you become president of a sorority. You're going to have a lot better skill sets than anybody than the typical student or or head of student government, not in, even a student yeah, yeah. representative. Or you're going to be a peer advisor for health, the health department, the health people. Those kinds of experiential activities. And, that, and I'm a big proponent of experiential learning that's mm -hmm. so you said pro project management problem solving mm -hmm. i like the students to have clients uh and they have to write a research report for a client every one of our majors writes an individual research report for a nonprofit or government agency mm -hmm. and the report isn't fancy it's just a bunch of bar graphs it's not like multiple regression and all that kind of stuff it's like something the client understands and then when they work with a client, they realize the client really doesn't know anything about surveys. And they're telling me to do this and that, and they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, but I have to do something that convinces them what I'm going to do is being useful. 
And going through that process accomplishes, practices all the skills. So, yes, that's what we were talking about earlier. Like you have to make space in a course, in a schedule. Um, like I think back to high school, like the schedule is so packed. They're just doing like bite-sized lessons like throughout the day. So it's really hard to do this kind of project-based like experiential learning because you need time for that. But that's where they actually learn the most. We have a program called Capstone, which is outside of the school day. You know, you fit it in like lunchtime, meet with your advisor after school, whatever that is. You got to do a lot on your own outside of school. But they actually learn a lot more in that one type of project than a lot of things they're learning in their classes. And I'm like, what if we actually use the school day to build this in? Because these students have so much to do outside of school, sports, jobs, taking care of families, uh, homework, right? And so I feel like there's a lot of wasted time in school. And there's a lot of wasted time. And there's a lot of waste. <laughs> you think about pre-K, you know, three, four years old to 18 years old. It's a huge chunk of your formative years, the most important time for your cognitive development. And we're wasting a lot of that time. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. So I feel like we need to make space in the schedule. You could still have traditional types of classes, but if you can make some space in at least, I don't know, a couple of the days in the week where students are out in the field or they're working with an advisor on this capstone project for like hours at a time, that they actually feel like fulfilled by it. And then they're not, you know, spinning their wheels and trying to get it all done. Like, you know, at midnight, <laughs> these students, like I teach seniors and they'll tell me, oh, it's up to like four in the morning doing homework. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, that's also not good for your mental health because sleep is part of, you know, your own cognitive development, your physical development, your immune system, your mental health, all of that. And they're just, because they don't have the time because they're wasting a lot of time in the actual seven hour school day. So they won't even put the capstone, which is the most important course in the entire high school curriculum in class time. <laughs> they no, in class time. It needs to be in class time. And I think it should be earlier than 11th, 12th grade. By yeah, the time I, they're in middle school, even or ninth grade, they should be working on these types of. You know, um, when I used to visit the high schools, I would walk past the classes and I would see all these kids half asleep and yeah. listening. Then I go to the library and there's this table with four kids on it and they're very animated, very engaged, and they're doing a project. And I said, there's where the action should be. And actually I came up with the idea of an office-based school where the kids would come to school, go to their cubby hole, put their clothes there, sit down at the computer, be given some stuff to do, and then they would go to training sessions. Hmm. Like we want to teach them. I, I keep using Excel. We want to, we want to, we want to practice it. So everybody come 30 minutes. We're giving you a 30 to 60 minute shot. And then go back to your little computer and practice it. Hmm. And the teachers can connect the computers and see what the kids are doing. And I tried that and went, I could, I couldn't. Somebody's done this. A couple of architects have actually done this, but yeah. it's it's uh, it, that would be such a revolutionary thing I know. that it could can never happen. So yeah, the space you create in the actual building is part of it too. I had someone on the podcast who works, he was a teacher and now he works in classroom design. And they do really cool innovative 
uh, it's based out of Arizona. That's called K K twelve, and they do these really cool classroom designs where it's all about collaboration. It's all about using space to practice and create right. and do hands-on activities so that it's not these desks in a row and like teacher centered. I mean, it's funny, it's 2023, almost 2024. And you think like the, what we're talking about is like 19, like 60s. <laughs> like, it's like, it hasn't changed at all. Like, it hasn't changed at all. What are we doing? So um, before we wrap up here, um, and then we could share a little bit about like, where people can find you and about your books and whatnot, um, where you're at now in your career and what you're doing. Do you want to share anything about like forward thinking about education, what you'd like to see, or like what, again, you're currently working on? Are you still like working with high schools? Um, any other ideas you'd like to share? So I'm, I'm 84 years old. So I'm uh, teach. they let me do what I want. <laughs> uh, so I, I teach I teach a freshman co course called Strategies for Career Success, where I give them the tools to find a job. And it, it's been very, very successful. And then I teach this course where my kids go into high school. And then I teach an honor section of my freshman course. It just meets once a week. My job is to get students to do what I want, which is to spread the skills thing. And that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm... I'm working with a company that wants to license all my stuff and provide these exercises to teachers uh, where they could fit in typing competition or a, a, a business pitch or elevator pitch, mm -hmm. little like 20 minute things that they could put in any course. Uh, you could take the content and say, do this for this content. So that's sort of my long range plans. My latest book is called um, The a Path to Equity. Um, God, you know what? I can never remember the name of it. Now I'm not going to. Isn't this terrible? Yeah, here it is. Oh, there it You've is. You've written so many books. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. That's the picture. Yeah, that's for real. Equity, inclusion in the kingdom of liberal arts. Because mm -hmm. I think the liberal arts concept of, of being a scholar has been very destructive and, and goes all the way K through 16. So I wrote that book. I find that writing books are pretty useless. Uh, nobody reads them. Uh, <laughs> Don't tell me that. I just wrote my first book. <laughs> yeah, just calm down. Do you have a publisher? No, I just self-published. Yeah. You're going to self-publish it? Yeah, I self-published it. I just, okay. I, um, yeah, are you getting sales? Book. Yeah, I have, I have a, right. you know. Probably as many sales as I'm getting with my publisher. <laughs> so, um, you never know what's, but the thing is, you know, you can talk. Anyway, I try to stop myself from writing this stuff, but I get myself <laughs> writing it and then I get disappointed. But I feel better because I wrote it. So I'm, I do that. So my main thing though is, is this, I think I could, we could help change education by putting skills First of all, raising the awareness of skills. And I mean, and the skills are all kinds of skills um, and getting teachers to do it within their own courses. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're creating um, a, a series of exercises and other stuff I've done over the years that teachers could then um, incorporate and the school system would buy a subscription and have the materials 
And it wouldn't take a lot of training. Another one of these program problems when, when you're trying to make change and you have these elaborate programs where the teachers have to sit and listen to people like, no, I don't, I don't want you to sit and listen to me. Here's, here's, do you ever, do, has a typing in your class? Well, they can't type and they make typing, <laughs> uh, proofread and blah, blah, blah. Say, so, okay, well, here's a 20 minutes exercise that you can do with them and um, do it once a week. And they'll complain, but their typing word per minute will go up. Mm -hmm. And also it's a matter of the practice of the skill is what they don't do. They mm -hmm. don't practice the skills. So practicing typing and then seeing your word per minute go up will teach you the more you practice something, the better your skill is going to be. And I, I myself am not a proponent of evaluating the performance. So, mm. okay, they give an elevator elevator pitch. It's more important they give an elevator pitch once a week than you tell them whether it was a good pitch or not. Mm. They'll figure yeah. out whether the practice, yeah, and have practice. them do self evaluation. I think self evaluation is really important because, again, as an adult, you're doing it all the time. You have to evaluate like how you're doing either at a job, in a relationship, right? All the responsibilities you have. So it's not, this isn't all just career focus. It's just how to be a functioning adult in society, right? So you have to be able to self-evaluate, manage, go back right. to the drawing board, all of that. So I, and they can get a lot more out of their own reflection than the teacher just saying, here's all the things that I think you need to fix. And then they just fix all the things and then they think, give me an A. I'm like, that's not how this works. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this, I think that that uh, next book out is going to be really important because there is a lot of inequities in education and we can't just push everyone becomes you know a scholar like i believe there should be more concentration in schools like through the k through 12 system on trades on entrepreneurship on all the different roles that you can have in society and not just like the college track or just like the liberal arts major track or whatever that is but that students have to see all the different ways that they can advance into their adulthood um, because that's not really, it's still very much like this one track that's being promoted. Yeah. And it's, it's forcing everybody into it. And that's why you have so many dropouts, uh, yeah. sixth, seventh, eighth grade, by the time they get to ninth grade, that's where most of your top dropouts occur. And it's because they're not engaged and they're not engaged because they don't know what being, they don't understand why they have to learn this. Right. They don't and, see the practicality. And they're right. Yeah. I don't understand why they have to learn it. So yeah, they're actually they telling us a lot. We should be listening to the kids. Right. <laughs> they're giving us a lot of information just by putting their head down on the desk. They're not, it's not a behavioral thing. They're telling us they're bored. Right. Um, can you share with the listeners and I'll put in the show notes, any information about where people can find you, any website, okay. any other things? So my website is billcopeland.com. Um, B-I-L-L-C-O-P-L-I-N. It's spelled like hoplin.com. And that will give them access to my skills win program, okay. uh, as well as the latest books. And um, I my biggest seller book is called uh, 10 Things Employers Want You to Learn in College. Mm -hmm. And it goes over all this stuff we just discussed, how you can use your extracurricular activities and getting a job and those kinds of things in college to develop the skills employers want. So that's the basic book. It's it's last published in 12. So it's it's been through two editions. 
And then the latest book is The Pursuit of Equity, which makes the argument that this liberal arts framework and the way things have set up has been extremely destructive of, mm -hmm. of both students and teachers. And um, the one positive note I have is I think the skills revolution has happened, is happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at what's going on, first of all, you have grade inflation, which I always thought was a good idea. <laughs> because what? Why? Especially if you're going to test comprehend uh, memorization. Right. You have threats to authority from both the left and the right about what's being taught, mm -hmm. which leads to a breakdown of, of um, standardization of the content. Because you can't stand, standardize the content. There's just too much of it. Yeah. And you get too much in these in these uh, curriculum. Um, and that the students are are not putting up with it anymore. Um, and they're they're either um, passive or they're angry or they drop out. Um, and then you have the teachers being hit with all these new requirements and new approaches and all it goes on and on and on and on and then you have um uh, the the attempt to develop mental health what sel mm -hmm. um sel uh is really saying we have to teach students more we have to teach them how to live mm -hmm. and i think this i know a lot of teachers don't like sel and they think it's, and that's because of the way they run it out. It's all this stuff, more stuff, more stuff. Yes, stuff, it's stuff. the way that it is um, programmed or packaged. Yes. It's it's the right, you, as you said, holistic. You got to teach the whole student. You have to help the whole student learn. I don't even like the word teach. You coach mm -hmm. them and help them learn. Really coaching, yeah. It's, it's really, and teachers saw themselves more as coaches and less as information providers. Mm -hmm. um, I think we'd be better off, but I don't blame the teachers. I blame the whole system has put them in this situation. So I'm yeah. sort of, I was thinking, you know, I've been calling for this revolution. It's actually happening. Yeah, and it it's is. Not happening by conscious choice. The administrators and teachers are forced into it yeah. because the kids won't put up with it. Yeah. And there's such chaos. And people were saying, like, how many teachers have your attitude that you're teaching the whole student? You think most of the people in your no. school? <laughs> they want to make scholars out of them, right? Or they want to be yeah, really good. Yeah, or they people. only see, they're only seeing what they do in their class, in their department, in their subject, where I, that's part of what I do. But I've always said, I am a mentor first before anything else, like, I would promote being someone who focused more on like the SEL actually than even just my subject content area. But a lot of teachers still feel such this identity connection to their content, to their I degree. Am. And I'm like, that's a piece of it. And that's okay. That's important too. We're not throwing it out the window, but you have to also, I think teachers need to look at themselves holistically. What am I doing? as a mentor in a school holistically. So I think the teacher training programs need to change in the higher yeah. ed. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, by the way, my book, The Happy Professor is you. You should, <laughs> you should chance look at it. Yeah, I will, definitely. Exactly what you're saying. Um, it, it, 
And then you'll be happier. You're happier if you're helping the people you're working with. What yeah. kind of situation are you in where the where they're always mad at you? Yeah. And they always treat you like, you know, a tool. Yeah. To give them a say. You're a tool. You're not a person. And yes. so um how can you be happy in that kind of relationship with students? Yeah. So I think it's yeah, I I think I think um, you, I, we agree a lot on this. And the, and the other thing about the SEL thing, the SEL is okay, but I'm on skills and time management. One of my skill sets is called taking responsibility and then time management. The time management thing is something you could train students to do, but it's very hard to enforce it. You get all these excuses, and and then you sort of, and there's so many of them, and what are you going to yeah. do? Um, so I'm so the SEL, the SEL people may not like the time management thing. You know, yeah. I, you know what I'm saying because it's I could see hard. it being intertwined too, because a lot yeah. of your own social emotional development is developing your skills because students will feel more successful, they'll feel more in control, they'll feel. That their pro, you know, their productivity is better if they have things like time management, if they are organized, if they are working on executive functioning. So I think we could see the overlap of both of them and how they can both kind of be intertwined into, you know, a program. But I really appreciate um, everything that you shared, and I'm just so grateful to have this connection and share your story here today. So thank you for coming on. All right, I've really enjoyed our conversation and. Your students are lucky to have you. Ah, yours too. I could definitely say the same. All of the students that you've impacted over your time. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Great and talking to you. Have a good you. day. Great talking to okay. you. Thank you for listening to The Teacher's Story. If you like this story, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow this podcast on YouTube and subscribe and leave a comment. All reviews and subscriptions help this podcast keep going and elevating teacher voices. Thank you. Help this podcast keep going and elevating teacher voices.